Take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 1. This morning we are in verses 1 through, I'm sorry, nope, we're in chapter 1, verses 18b through 26. I've got to get everything set up just right here so that my pages turn as little as possible. think I've got it. So last week we looked at Gospel Now. We looked at verses 12 through 18a and we saw that Paul was was making a a statement about the gospel in his current situation. And that statement was that the gospel is more important than his current situation. Whatever he's going through at this moment at this time God is going to use, and in this particular case, he's using it to do more than Paul would have ever imagined he could do or would do, certainly not more than God could do, but maybe more than he would do, even during his imprisonment. So that was was his amazement, we might could call it amazement, it's his encouragement to the church in Philippi. Hey, y'all, this is me in prison, and God is still using me and... uh, leading people to faith. The gospel is still going strong. As a matter of fact, he's saying it is enhanced by my current situation. Gospel now, regardless of the situation. Well, then in verse 18, he makes a transition to gospel later. He begins using future tense verbs primarily uh, throughout this section. And he, he says of this gospel that Not only is the gospel now everything it needs to be, regardless of my situation, but later on, regardless of what happens, the gospel will still be the focus. And he makes this transition in verse 18 by by transitioning joy. He says, I rejoice that the gospel is still going forth in my current, uh, uh, current situation, And I will rejoice regardless of the situation later on. That's his transition to the future tense from the present tense. And in this passage, in this second half of this long paragraph, uh, verses 12 through 26, this second half, he's going to make two main points in this section, in this half a paragraph. Two, two introductory sentences, two main thoughts that he then uh, seeks to uh, develop and, and embellish and, and give subpoints to. The first main point is, I will continue to rejoice. Here's the future. I will continue to rejoice. That is his declarative statement. That is what will happen. That is his confidence no matter the situation that, that comes up, no matter how this imprisonment turns out for him, he says, I will continue to rejoice. In the second half of that section, he says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. That's the, the second main point that he makes uh, in this half a paragraph that we're looking at today. I will rejoice... And to live as Christ and to die as gain. That's it. Two points in my sermon this morning. The thing is, these two points are, are interwoven 
and, and interrelated. He can rejoice because to live as Christ and to die is gain. To live in Christ, to live as Christ and to die is gain, so I will rejoice. See, that they, they are connected. They're not separate. As a matter of fact, the, the second sentence, to live as Christ, die is gain, is actually a further uh, amplification, clarification of the fact that I will rejoice. In everything, he will rejoice. At one point in another letter, he will say, in all things rejoice. And it may be at the end of Philippians. I might be remembering wrong. In all things rejoice. He can give that admonition because that is the life he lives. This is, for the sermon title today, for context, this is gospel later. Paul is confident, no matter what will happen, that the gospel will still go forth. The gospel will still be the focus. Everything he's discussing, both in 12 through 18 and 18 through 26, everything he is discussing centers around the future of the gospel. I'm in prison. The gospel matters. Folks are, 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 are evangelizing, preaching Jesus as a way to get back at me somehow, the gospel matters. I'm going to go in front of a court, and they're going to make a decision about my life and my death. The gospel matters. I may live. I may die. If I die, the gospel matters, because the gospel guarantees its future. If I live, the gospel matters, because I still only have one focus in life, and that is the gospel. No matter what the situation, it's the gospel that matters. And regardless of the future outcome of the present situation, the gospel matters. The gospel is his greatest concern. That really is Paul's only concern. That's all he's looking at. How is this going to affect the gospel? We'll see as we move through this. He has no it's not that he's looking for ways to die or anything like that. But if I die the gospel, if I live the gospel, I go to trial the gospel, I'm in prison the gospel. And we see that as we read through this. Second half of, chapter, of verse 18, chapter 1, read along with me. He says, yes, I will continue to rejoice. Verse 19, because... I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Holy Spirit, uh, from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, if I live in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I'm torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I'm persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. All about the gospel. All about the faith. All about how Jesus is glorified in this situation. 
We see it first as a, as a way to kind of restate the, his point about I will continue to rejoice. Our, our, our point this morning, point number one, our, our imperative that we walk away with, with is rejoice whatever the outcome. Verses 18 and a half through 20. Rejoice whatever the outcome. That's, that's what he's saying here. I will rejoice. I will continue to re rejoice. I will rejoice over and over and over as things move along because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayer, prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. See, he knew in verse 19 that his salvation is secure. But the interesting thing about that word and his usage here, it is the word that we most often use for salvation. It's where we get our uh, seminary word of the study of salvation, soteriology. It, it, it's, it's that word that he uses. So it is the word that we always use for salvation. But in, in this context, it actually carries this idea of vindication not just salvation, and, and it seems to be pretty intentional that Paul uses the word right here in this way, in this context, because he wants people to see that he's talking about two sides of this same coin, salvation and vindication. Those two things are secure, and, and he states that clearly later on. We hear it, and we get a hint of it right here, in verse 19, it, he, the gospel will save him if he dies. Why could Paul look so apparently, flippantly, death in the face and laugh? It's not because his middle name was danger. It's because he was confident in his salvation. Death didn't matter to him. Death didn't scare him. Death didn't end anything except this temporal existence that was going to end anyway. He knew he had an end coming. So as far as he was concerned, the quicker the better. My whole purpose in life has been Jesus. And if I die, I get to see face to face hand to hand, hug to hug, the whole purpose for my life. So the gospel saved him if he died, and he could rest in that confidence and be perfectly fine with whatever happened later on. If he didn't die, though, he says in verse 19, this leading to his salvation, or in this case, vindication, if, if he doesn't die and he stands before the tribunal, if he stands for, before Caesar, the gospel will vindicate him. He will prove to them, whether they have faith or not, whether they trust and believe in Jesus or not, this, the, the gospel will still stand true. He will stand before them and say, this is the gospel I preach. It is truth, and you can believe it or not, but the gospel will vindicate him. There will be those, as we see from later on at the end of the letter when he talks about believers in Caesar's household, we see that he has 
worked, the gospel has worked. It has already vindicated, or he has already been vindicated by the gospel because of those who they would have said, especially the folks he's writing to, there's no way somebody from Caesar's household will be saved. Paul says the gospel vindicates itself. The gospel proves itself over and over by saving the very ones that you might believe are so far from salvation they could never experience it. It vindicates itself. And it vindicates itself, or rather his, his salvation is secure, his vindication is secure. Both of those things are secure, but primarily the vindication are secure through believers' prayers and the filling Holy Spirit. He can have confidence in his vindication. He can have confidence, as he will say later on, his boldness, in his boldness to stand before the tribunal, in his uh, willingness, in his confidence that he will not be put to shame, that he will be vindicated. He can be confident in those things because believers are praying for him. Do you see that? I, we, I, I know I underestimate the effect and the power that my intercessory prayer has for someone else and their situation they're going through and what it means to them and what it means to the circumstance that they are in, what it means to the situation that they are in, what it means to their ability to stand before whatever situation, whatever trial they are facing and say, I can do this through the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul makes clear that his ability to do that is dependent in part and in great part because the way he connects the prayers of the believers and the filling of the Holy Spirit, it makes it almost inseparable. He can do that because people are praying for him. Do we pray with such intensity, with such intentionality for people who need prayer we should because the the prayer of a righteous man does a whole lot of good does a whole lot of work righteous woman too when we go to the lord in prayer for someone else it does something we don't know what i mean to describe how god moves because we pray versus how he doesn't move if he, we don't pray. I can't do that. I can't tell you how that works. We don't control God by any means. We do not uh, flip the switch, put the coins in the, in the vending machine, hit the button, make the right clicks, whatever. We don't do those things and get whatever we want from God. That's not the way it works. But what he tells us over and over and over in Scripture, and Paul tells us here, is that our prayers do something. Prayers move God somehow. It takes away none of his omnipotence. It takes away none of his omniscience. And yet our prayers do things. So we pray. And then because we pray, the Holy Spirit of God fills him and prepares him. Some translations say help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Probably a better translation is help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. When we pray for someone, the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps them. That's what he's trying to say here. 
In God's economy, that's the way it works. And when they pray, when they lift him up, when he stands before this trial, this court, he will have no shame or disgrace in his hope. Verse 20, the first half, my eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything. Eager expectation and hope. We've said before, hope is confident expectation. Hope is not wishing. I hope I win the lottery. I hope they do another stimulus package. I hope that we get to end this uh, quarantine soon. I hope, I hope, I hope. Those, those are wishes. Those are, boy, if I had my way, this is the way I would do it. That is not hope. Hope is confident expectation. And he melds these two right here in this verse. His uh, expectation and hope. It's, it's confidence. I told you last week or a couple of weeks ago, I think, when we started Philippians, that we're going to start talking about some, some Greek grammar a little bit more. And, and we, we've talked about before present uh, active verbs. It's right now. It's happening. It's right now. We've talked about passive verbs. It, it happens to me uh, in, in talking about Paul and his decision to go to Jerusalem or Rome. Uh, we, we talked about the middle voice, which we really don't have too much of in English, or at least we don't, we don't, we don't have an ending for it. Middle voice is something we're doing inside ourselves. So it would say Paul, in his spirit, decided that's a middle voice uh, idea so that it's, it's him telling himself to do it. This, there, there's another uh, mood, we call it, in, in Greek called subjunctive, and we have it in English, and it is the possibility of something happening. May happen, might happen. We would say, in English, though we would use the word wrong, we would say, hope it happens. We wish it will happen. The subjunctive mood. At this point, when Paul says, I will not be ashamed, it is not in the subjunctive mood. I gave you all that Greek grammar to tell you it's not there. It's in the present uh, or future tense indicative. It is a statement of fact. I will not be ashamed. I don't wish I won't be ashamed. It might be the case that I won't be ashamed. If everything goes okay and it works out just right, then, then it'll be that I won't be ashamed. No, no, I'm telling you, people of Philippi, church today, because of the prayers of other people and the Holy Spirit in me, when I stand before a trial, when I stand before a situation, and the choice is between following Jesus or not following Jesus, when the choice is representing the gospel well or not representing the gospel well, I will not be ashamed. I will not be disgraced. I will not get up there and wonder, is this true? Is it? I don't know. I'm a little hesitant here. I'm worried about... No, I will stand in confidence before whatever situation I'm in and be able to say, yes, the gospel is true. Not maybe. Is. The picture we get here is of the gospel standing in power when he stands before the Roman tribunal and Caesar himself. The gospel will be powerful. I have that confidence, Paul says. But his main confidence here 
his main vindication is not just his confidence to be able to stand before the trial. It's not just his willingness to go to the death if that's what is necessary. His vindication will come when as he stands before the tribunal and as he says in the second half of verse 20, that now as always with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body. Christ will be highly honored. That is his purpose. That is his point. It's not that he is seen as, well, it's this guy here, he's, he, he, he's strong in his beliefs. I can respect that. I, uh, I, I, no, what he will do, what the trial will show, no matter the outcome, Christ will be honored. This is not about Paul. Now that he is there in, under house arrest in Rome, it's not about Paul. It's never really been about Paul. Yes, we've talked about how Paul sometimes made it about himself, don't we all? Paul made mistakes, don't we all? Paul took his eyes off the goal sometimes, don't we all? That's why he would write to other churches and say, keep your eyes on the goal. Because Paul knew what it was to take his eyes off. He could say that that will never get you where you want to go. Keep your eyes on the goal and Christ will be honored or magnified or glorified or all good interpretations of that word. Paul will be bold in his gospel proclamation. Paul will be bold in his proclamation. He will not back down. When the time comes for him to bow before Caesar or Jesus, he will bow before Jesus every time. And Caesar can sit on attack. Is that the, the nice way of saying it? Go jump? Or, yeah. All right. That's what we say to tell the devil to do in that song, right? He can go sit on attack. Paul will be bold in this gospel proclamation. He says, I will be confident, just like always. It's what Paul has always done. Even when Paul, as I have said, even when Paul was going the wrong way, when he was listening to himself and not the Holy Spirit, he was still bold in his belief. He was still doing it for the gospel. He may have been going down the wrong path for a little while on the wrong road, but it was always what he has done. Honor Christ, glorify Christ, magnify Christ. And he will do that. That will be his goal. That will be his purpose as long as he draws breath. Now, as always, with all courage, with all confidence, Christ will be highly honored in my body. Paul says, in my body, means physically he's giving himself to it totally. I mean, it, it kind of captures everything about him. Everything I have is for the gospel. Everything I have is for Jesus. And if that means that he gives himself in life, great. If that means he gives himself in death, great and that's how he ends verse 20 whether by life or death by life deliverance during this trial from this trial from this prison or by death execution 
regardless of the outcome, he is going to stand before this situation and he will preach Christ and him crucified. When the day comes to face Nero, he's going to tell Nero about Jesus. When the day comes to face any situation, that situation for Paul is going to be for the purpose of glorifying, honoring, magnifying Jesus. And then point two, life or death, it doesn't matter. Verses 21 through 26, he says, for me to live is Christ, die is gain. That, that verse is actually much shorter in Greek uh, than, than we have it. It's, it's very difficult in Greek, but it says, I'm living, Christ. I'm dying, gain. And it works really well in, in Greek, it, it, it rhymes even. When you say it, the, the gain and Christ, the words rhyme. It, it's, a, it's a great little piece of, of Greek poetry and literature, but it slaps you across the face. And what he is actually saying is that really both of them are gain. Living and dying, both are gain. He explains it as he moves through. Verses 22 and 24 Show us that living means to work for the discipleship of others. If Paul makes it through this, if Paul gets to the other side of this trial, which at the moment he believes he will, if you remember when we ended Acts, we talked about the fact that he probably, toward the end of his two years, uh, about the right time of this writing, he was uh, going to face the tribunal, but it probably never happened. Court never happened because nobody came up from Jerusalem to press charges. So no accusers, no trial. But then the Jews in Rome realized what was going on. Wait a minute. All right, we'll make the charge. They stuck around for it. The charges, um, charges stuck. And then Nero began his persecution. Uh, just, it just was a good timing for them. And they... Uh, that resulted in Paul's death. At this moment, though, he's looking at this and saying, yeah, we're, uh, this is going to turn out fine. I will be seeing you again. So in that frame of mind, he says, if I live, if I make this, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make disciples. I'm going to tell lost people about Jesus, and I'm going to encourage saved people to grow in their faith. I I'm going to do the thing he says that I have always done. His whole life is devoted to Christ, including the suffering. He says, I will gladly suffer for the gospel. I'll do it over and over and over again if that is what I need to do. And if suffering leads to someone else's gain, suffering is a gain. He's fine with that. Not only fine with that, he looks forward to it. He will take whatever comes his way in order for believers to grow in the faith or for unbelievers to come to faith. Whatever it takes, whatever it takes, if, if parking lot church and a virus and quarantine and live stream 
and all of these things, all of these disruptions, and maybe a lo much longer continued disruption or a cycle of disruptions because of the, the growth of the virus and then it's, it's quelling and back again and, and forth. If all of those things result in people coming to faith, they are all worth it. Paul would say, I rejoice in the virus and the quarantine and the parking lot church and the, 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 the roller coaster because people came to faith through those. Mind blown, Paul. Wouldn't you rather it be easy? Well, yeah, everybody would rather it be easy. But it's not. And whatever it takes is what we are supposed to do. And for Paul, living is a gain for those he disciples. And, and, and he really doesn't have a choice. But he's saying here, if I had a choice. Verse 24, to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Verse 21, at the end of it, I don't know which one I should choose. Well, he, he, he can't choose. He, he doesn't really have a choice. But he's saying, if, if I could, if I'm sitting here thinking about it right now, man, if, 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 I, if I could die right now and be with Jesus, or if I could stay and win more people to Jesus and disciple those who have uh, already come to Christ, he doesn't know what he would choose. Because, honestly, both of them are preferred. I mean, you can have one dessert, and you've got two of your favorite choices. You can't have both. You can only have one. What do you choose? Man, I don't know. I don't know what your favorites would be. Uh, mine would be something along the lines of uh, creme brulee and... Uh, Years ago at a Mexican restaurant called El Chico, and y'all know how I feel about Mexican restaurant, uh, Mexican food generally. I'm just not a fan. But they had a skillet apple pie with cinnamon ice cream on it. Oh, my gosh. Oh, but I can go to today, and what's that 121 bistro? Well, it was a white chocolate bread pudding with that clump of stuff on top. I don't know. I don't know which I'd choose. If I had to, I don't know. I don't know. And that's Paul's dilemma, except it is much, much bigger than some fattening dessert. If I had to choose between dying and getting to see Jesus and living and telling people about Jesus, I honestly don't know. But what he boils down to in verse 24 is to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. If I had to choose, I don't know what I'd choose, but I do know what's most necessary. Not me. Not me. You know what matters in life? Not me. Believer, do you know what matters in life? Not you. Everybody else matters. You don't. We used to use the word joy as an acronym for what we are, uh, the, the, the hierarchy of, of, uh, of our lives. Who has the influence? Who gets the devotion? Who gets the attention? Joy. Jesus, others, yourself. That's the order. 
And that's what Paul understood. I would love to die and, and, and go to be with Jesus. But more important than my comfort, more important than my, more important than my eternal joy, more important than my rest, my getting to shed this mortal body and, and the aches and the pains and, and the scars that he bore from the beatings and the shipwrecks and the, 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 the aches and, and, and probably the, the broken bones that were never set right and, and, and all those issues. He could put all of those away and how glorious that would be. And we do this ourselves and we, we see something going on and we say, come Lord Jesus. Why? Because we want out of this mess. We want out of this mess, but if Jesus comes, for a lot of people, that's it. No more chances for them not to hear the gospel, not to change, not to follow Jesus. So while we might be more comfortable with our own deaths and, and even rejoice in it, what does that mean for people who don't know Jesus. Paul was putting himself first. And he believes in verse 24. Because of what's going on in the background. As he understands it. He believes this is God's will. That I will live so I can pour myself into y'all a little bit more. And others as well. But that's, that's if he lives. Dying though means being with Jesus. In verse 23. I'm torn to be between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Better than creme brulee. Better than white chocolate bread pudding with that creamy stuff on top that I can't remember what is, but was so wonderful. Better than family. Better than friends. Better than anything we can have. It is, is to be with Jesus. As I said earlier... Paul's whole goal in life will have been reached when he crosses that boundary between life and death. And the one who welcomes him is Jesus saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Who doesn't want to hear that? Who doesn't want to shed the aches and pains of this body, the, the torment, the hurts, the trials of this life? The viruses, the stupidities, the loss of loved ones. Who doesn't want to see family that has gone on before us? Who doesn't want to experience death and see our Savior face to face? Paul certainly did. Dying was gain for him. Dying is gain for every believer. Now this is no death wish for Paul. He's not despairing of his trials he's not saying oh this is just too much to bear i wish i could die to get out of this that's not what he's saying at all he is expressing a hope in a certain eternity from an uncertain future he's saying i don't know what tomorrow holds for me right now in this tribunal i have uh, this idea that it's all going to turn out fine, but they may execute me. Tomorrow's uncertain. Next week is uncertain. Next year, uncertain. My eternity is certain. 
this is an expression not just of desire to be with Jesus, but an expression of confidence that Jesus has him no matter what happens. To die is gain. I can face anything. I can face any situation knowing that God has it. Jesus is our joy in life or in death is what Paul is saying here. That's my joy, right? It's far better, but I, I'm going to rejoice either way. And then he reiterates in verses 25 through 26. He says, since I'm persuaded of this, since I'm confident that things are going to work out well, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. If we're right, and we don't know, remember we talked about it in the Acts, we don't know what happened after Roman imprisonment. Clearly, at this point, he thinks he's getting out. Some scholars think he thinks he did. Think he did. Some scholars think he didn't. We don't know. I believe the best evidence says he didn't. He died there. But at this point, he sees, he believes that he's going to get out. So he understands in this situation, with this understanding of his future, but right, go back a few verses, whether I live or die, he doesn't know, but this is what he thinks. Living for the gospel is the most important. I'm so glad I get to go free. I'm so glad that they're going to let me out of here so I can finally go sit down at a restaurant again and have people wait on me. It's not what he's saying. He's not concerned about the conveniences of life that he's missing out because of his quarantine right now. I mean, house arrest. He's not concerned about the situation. He's not concerned about what might come in, in, in a little while, how those things might conspire against him to cause more problems for him. All he is concerned about right now is the gospel. And he was concerned about, in this particular case, the progress and joy of the church in Philippi. He was concerned for that. It's, it's twin themes of the rest of the letter. He's going to talk about their progress and their joy throughout the rest of the letter at various times. That's his concern. He knows, Paul does, that as they grow in discipleship, their joy will increase. And he's telling them these things because he knows of some persecution they themselves are going through and some persecution that they will likely go through later on, that it will increase. Things are going to get worse. He's confident in Jesus' promises that if they beat up the teacher, what do you think they're going to do to the students? The Sermon on the Mount. Rejoice. Blessed are the ones when you are persecuted. Not if you are persecuted, but when you are persecuted. Rejoice in sufferings, he's going to say. Suffering is a guarantee. So he's telling the folks in Philippi, look, it's coming. It's going to get worse. It is going to. I promise. And you know what your focus should be? The gospel. Not how to get out. Not what the signs of the times are. The gospel. And if you will focus on the gospel, if you will make that your 
your, your, your intense desire, share the gospel and grow in your faith, then you'll have joy in all those situations. Joy, 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 he says over and over in this book, or rather in this letter. And then he says, so that because of my coming to you, because of your continued uh, progress and joy, because of the time we spend together, last phrase, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. Now, may abound, I talked about subjunctive, the, the hope, the, the wishing, the what could happen, here we go. Here's that mood, subjunctive. It may abound. Y'all, our boasting in Christ Jesus is up to us. How we handle a situation is up to us. Our progress and our joy, our progress in the uh, joy, our progress and joy in the faith are up to us. How we approach a trial, how we approach a bad situation, how we approach anything going on in our lives is up to us. You decide, is my focus today on the gospel or my situation? Are the most important, is the most important thing in my life others or me? That's a choice you make. And when they boasted, it, it's not bragging in a negative way. This is glorying in Christ. When they gloried in Christ, it was because live or die, trial or no trial, imprisonment or freedom, regardless of what goes on, the gospel, Jesus. That is what matters. And it was all because of Jesus, not because of themselves. See, that's the interesting thing about it here. The choice to, to, progress, to progress and have joy in our faith, the choice to boast in Christ Jesus, to glory in Christ Jesus, is ours, but it's not based on us. I make the choice to glory in Jesus, not in myself. I make the choice to glory in what Jesus has done for me, not what I've done for me. I've made the choice to, to brag about Jesus' work in my life, not my work in my life. So we come to the what should I do. Really just two things. Live for Jesus. Die for Jesus. That's it. That's all you have to do. Simple. I mean, really, if you're alive, it's for Jesus. If you die, it's for Jesus. I mean, just, so just write those two things down. You're good. Go. I mean, you're right. Except, except it's not that easy, is it? I mean, it, it, if it were, I wouldn't have to preach every Sunday. We just, oh, live for Jesus and die for Jesus. I got it. We, we can go on for it. We, we don't. But, but wait, there's a third point. There's a third what to do. Be joyful about both in every circumstance. What? Yeah. Living for Jesus, no matter what's going on, be joyful. If you're faced with a situation where you have to die for Jesus, be joyful. That's Paul's admonition. I mean, this, this is a, a letter of joy. Living for Jesus, dying for Jesus, it's joy. No matter the outcome, the future is hopeful and joyful. 
If you die as a believer, hopeful and joyful future. If you live as a believer, hopeful and joyful future. It does not matter. If the economy crashes, and at the moment it's on its way, hopeful and joyful because we have Jesus. It doesn't matter. If the virus only gets worse, hopeful and joyful because it doesn't matter. If Bill Gates really is making a vaccine with a a microchip in it that's going to be the mark of the beast, you know what we're supposed to be? Hopeful and joyful because it doesn't matter. We are secure. We live or die in such a way that Christ is glorified. And that's it. That's our purpose. That's our progress and joy. To live or die in such a way that Christ is glorified. And that's both for gospel now, like we talked about last week, our situation where we are, or gospel later, our situation where we might be. Our attitude, our intent, our heart, our purpose are all still the same, no matter the situation. You can only have that joy, though, through a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can only understand how we can be joyful and hopeful no matter the outcome with a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the only way. We can can read scripture, we can look to the end, we can see the times as Jesus told us to, and we can uh, address those times with joy and hope, regardless of what the signs are or aren't, because we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. This morning, you need to have that relationship with Jesus Christ as well. You need to trust Jesus as your Savior. God's design was for you to be in an intimate relationship with Him. But sin ruined that. Our sin ruins that. And it leads to a broken life. It leads to a broken world. And our fixes don't fix. It's just broken worse. It's like me trying to work on the plumbing at the house. Not going to be a happy ending to that. It's just going to make it worse and cost more when I finally call the plumber. That's life. That is sin. Because every attempt to fix the break brings its own level of brokenness with it. And it just, brokenness piles on brokenness and the only heal the only way we can find joy is the gospel of jesus christ the perfect son of god lived a perfect life came to earth lived as an example for us all taught us and on that good friday he was crucified for sins he did not commit he was crucified for your sins and for my sins and he took the punishment for those sins and he took the sins him themselves And he died. And three days later, he rose from the grave to show that he had power over death and sin. I can forgive it, and I can fix it. And he did both of those things on that Sunday morning. And if we repent of our sin, if we turn from the old life, and we believe the gospel, believe in Jesus Christ, put our faith in him, we will be saved and we will begin to recover and pursue that design, original design of God. We will be brought into relationship with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And then we will have hope and joy 
regardless of the circumstance. And you can have that hope to enjoy today just by where you are, saying something like to the Lord, Lord, I'm a sinner, I know it, and every attempt on my behalf to fix it is broken at worst. God, I no longer have faith in my ability to save me, but I place my faith in you. Lord Jesus, save me. I give my life to you. No, no magic words. No, you don't need to know the words I just said. You just need to have the heart for those words, and he'll save you. And he'll save you for all eternity. And you can be confident that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Pray with me. Father, thank you that we have that hope, that we have that confidence, that we have that joy no matter the situation, no matter the circumstance. And Lord, when it all seems bleak and and horrible and it's all coming to end, and, and it may be, God, you're at the end. Lord Jesus, our eternity is secure with you as a believer. And our purpose is to take as many people with us not to put off you coming back. So, Lord, give us the joy and the hope in our salvation. And if there's someone listening who doesn't know you, your son is Savior, they will come today and make that decision. God, work among the hearts of those who are listening today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So maybe you need to accept Christ. Maybe you need to uh, make that internal decision that I just talked Maybe you've done it and you want to be baptized. We can work it out. I've seen churches baptizing lately. Guy baptizing wears a mask, and, and it, we can do it if you want to be baptized. No problem at all. Join our church. That's fine. Maybe you need to recommit as a believer. Follow Jesus more. Maybe you need to find joy and hope in this situation right now that you haven't in the past. You've struggled with it. And you need to strengthen your faith. You've got uh, a place to comment, I believe, on the connection card on the, on the Faith Life app. If you need to make some comments there, we'd love to know what, you're, what the Lord is doing in your heart. If you'd like to share that with us, you can comment. Send us a message on Facebook. But let God work on you as we take just a few more minutes this morning and we worship and let those things settle in our hearts today.